In this series on AI and the mind, we've been considering the questions of whether AI can ever really be intelligent or sentient or conscious, and we've been doing it from the angle of the philosophy of mind. And more specifically, we've been examining what I have claimed to be the primary source of belief in and optimism for the possibility of a sentient AI, especially among computer and cognitive scientists. It's a philosophical view about the ultimate nature of reality in general, and about the mind in particular. It's one that I've called physical reductionism. So by way of review, physical reductionism says that everything that exists is ultimately reducible to, or at least supervenient upon, the fundamental entities and properties postulated by physics. And as we've seen, when applied to the mind, physical reductionism attempts to reduce and identify mental states with purely physical states, such as patterns of behavior, um, brain processes, or functional inputs and outputs. And as I've argued, it's this modern materialist picture of the mind that makes the idea of AI sentience probable in the eyes of many, if not most today. However, we saw in the last episode a powerful reason for thinking that physical reductionism gets it wrong when it comes to human consciousness. First-person conscious awareness just cannot be reduced to any third-person description in the mathematical language of physics. There is a severe construction problem here. You simply cannot build consciousness from the mindless quantitative bits of matter posited by modern chemistry and physics. In this episode, we're going to look at another problem for the physical reductionist view of the mind. And it's one that represents, I think, an even more powerful reason to reject it. In fact, I think that the challenge to physical reductionism that we're going to look at here represents a decisive refutation of any view that reduces human intelligence to matter in motion. It's called the problem of rationality. What do we mean when we say that a belief is rational? Minimally, I think we we mean that the belief is based on on reasons and logic, rather than, say, caused to be by some bodily state, such as an emotion or passion. A rational belief is a belief that is held for some reason or another. To be rational is to believe something to be true because you have good reasons to do so. Imagine that you believe that the Cleveland Browns are going to be terrible again this season. Let's say that your belief is based on reasons. For example, the team wasn't very good last year and hasn't made many improvements in the offseason. Or let's say a key player has been injured and will miss most of the season. The division is also very strong. There's several good teams in it, and so on. Now, let's say I form the opposite belief, as you do, about the Cleveland Browns. I think the Browns are going to be great this year. In fact, I think they are most definitely going to win the Super Bowl. Only, my belief isn't based on rational reasons like yours is. Rather, my belief was formed just after my dentist administered nitrous oxide prior to my wisdom teeth being pulled. So, upon receiving the nitrous oxide, suddenly, 
I find myself thinking very optimistically about the Browns. I was sure that they were going to be the best team in football. Now, what's the difference between these two cases of belief concerning the Cleveland Browns? Why is your belief rational while my belief was not? Well, I think it's easy to see, isn't it? Your belief is reasoned while my belief was caused. Your belief that the Browns will be terrible again is derived. It's inferred from other things that you believe to be true. While my belief that the Browns are going to be uh, really good and win the Super Bowl was caused in me by certain bodily states that were brought on by the nitrous oxide. Now, this simplistic example helps illustrate that there is an essential difference between having a reason to do or believe something and being physically caused to do or to believe something. Physical causes appeal to the mindless realm consisting of the basic bits of matter and the meaningless material forces between them, whereas reasons appeal to the mental realm of rational deliberation. For A to be the cause of B is one kind of relation. For A to be a reason for B is another kind of relation. The relation of reason is a rational relation. The relation of physical causation is not. Now, the term reason also has a technical meaning in logic that has to do with the process of thinking something through in a rational manner. To reason is to follow a structured movement of thought from premises to a conclusion according to the universal principles of logic. Now, logical principles are not physical principles. To see this, let's consider a simple logical argument known as a syllogism. Premise one, all men are mortal. Premise two, Socrates is a man. Therefore, conclusion, Socrates is mortal. The relation involved in the logical reasoning here is obviously a relation of reason. It's not a relation of physical causation. The conclusion of this argument is derived from the truth of the premises, along with the formal structure of the syllogism itself, which has the valid logical form of modus ponens. Now, the connection between the premise, the premises and the conclusion in this argument is a logical connection. It's not a causal connection. The conclusion of this argument, as it is displayed on your screen, is not being caused by anything material. It's not as if the digital symbols on your screen that make up the first two premises are somehow physically causing the truth of the conclusion. Or if you were to write the argument down on a piece of paper, it's not as if the physical components of the ink in the paper that make up the first two premises would somehow be physically causing the truth of the conclusion. And what's true in the case of images on a computer screen or ink on paper is also true of whatever physical states are instantiated in your brain when you think about this argument. Even if it made sense to assign some particular axon firing in the brain to the first premise, a different axon firing to the second premise, and a third axon firing to the conclusion, it wouldn't make sense to say that the first two axon firings in your brain physically caused the truth of the third axon firing in your brain. What makes an argument true is the truth value of the premises, along with the conclusion being properly derived according to the certain uh, formal rules and principles of reason and logic. Reasoning is not governed by physical laws that obtain between bits of material reality. 
but by the rules of logical inference, rules that are universal, objective, and immaterial. This clear and distinct fact about human reasoning and rationality poses a severe problem for physical reductionism. And the problem can be stated like this. If everything is reducible to fundamental particles and the causal relations between them, then it doesn't seem possible to give a reasonable account of human rationality. If all you have to work with are mindless bits of matter and causal laws, you can't explain rationality in terms of reasons and logic. Remember that for the physical reductionist, thinking cannot be anything over and above some physical state or physical process in your brain. The mental is nothing over and above the physical. This means that to explain rationality, you can only appeal to material or physical causes. You can never appeal to immaterial or mental reasons. Now, the problem for the physical reductionist is that reducing rationality to physical causality doesn't really explain rationality, at least as we know it. Rather, it destroys rationality. Now, you may think that your beliefs are based on logical inferences and sound reasoning derived from what you take to be the truth about reality. But in fact, all of your beliefs are simply caused by the mindless interactions of physical bits of matter that make up your brain. Now, I want you to see how radical this view is, and I want you to see the radical implications that it has for human rationality and for human free will. Every form of physical reductionism leads to a kind of causal determinism, where everything about you is ultimately determined by the causal interaction of mindless swarms of particles in your brain. And this is true, by the way, even if quantum mechanics is interpreted in a way that is fundamentally indeterministic. Now, this means that all of your knowledge, all of your thoughts, beliefs, opinions, hopes, dreams, everything about your mental life is ultimately determined by the causal interaction between swarms of particles in your brain. If physical reductionism is true, then you are a puppet of your particles. You may find yourself with certain beliefs, but you can't appeal to rational reasons for those beliefs, since whatever reasoning you engage in is ultimately nothing more than the result of causal interaction of mindless bits of matter in your brain. You may feel like you're following sound reasoning. You may think that your beliefs are based on reasons, but everything about you, including this feeling that you have about your own reasoning, is itself the result of purely physical interactions going on in your head. Your sense of reason and rationality is an illusion, according to physical reductionism, and so is your sense of free will. You may feel like you're a free agent who is ultimately in control of your choices, but like your thoughts, your choices are entirely reducible to the causal relations between swarms of particles in your brain. Again, when it comes to your choices, no less than your thoughts, you are a puppet of your particles. Now, as I say, this is a radical claim, but it's one that is entailed by physical reductionism. The biophysicist, neuroscientist, and Nobel Prize winner Francis Crick referred to the physical reductionist view of the mind as, quote, the astonishing hypothesis, end quote, in a book that he wrote with that title. He opens the book with a statement that is meant to be shocking. He writes, quote, 
The astonishing hypothesis is that you, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will, are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. You're nothing but a pack of neurons, end quote. According to physical reductionists like Crick, you may well believe that your thoughts and beliefs are based on mental reasoning, and you may well believe that you have genuine free will, but the scientific image of the world is one that is devoid of both. Now, to see the radical nature of this claim, let's imagine that a friend of yours has a rare form of brain cancer in which the cancer cells in his brain cause all his beliefs and thoughts. Your friend, however, is unaware of this fact because this fact is not one of the things that the cancer cells in his brain are causing him to believe. He thinks that his thoughts and beliefs are all based on reasons. Now, if physical, reduction, uh, physical reductionism is true, we are all like your friend in this imagined scenario. The beliefs that we hold are ultimately reducible to the behavior of mindless bits of microphysical stuff in our brains, whether we're aware of this fact or not, and despite the fact that we believe that our beliefs are rationally based. But hang on, don't we have a problem here? Now, you may have already sniffed it out. It seems like the physical reductionist is trying to have his cake and eat it too. If you believe that your mental life is caused by the bits of matter in your head, then it seems that you have a very good reason to doubt that belief, since it also would be caused by the bits of matter in your head. Imagine in our scenario that your friend suddenly comes to correctly believe that all his thoughts and beliefs are caused by the cancer cells in his brain so that he now has a reason not to trust them. But now he seems to be in an impossible situation, since the same reason he has to distrust his other beliefs applies to this particular belief as well. The belief that all of his thoughts are caused by cancer cells in his brain is itself one of the thoughts that are caused by the cancer cells in his brain. The physical reductionist, it seems, is in the very same impossible position. Consider that Crick writes his book because he wants to convince you that the astonishing hypothesis is true and rational. His book is full of scientific arguments and rational reasoning that he thinks support physical reductionism. But wait a minute. I thought that reasons and rational argumentation were nothing but, nothing over and above, the causal activity between bits of matter in your brain. If, if Crick really believes this, then why bother writing a book about it? Why bother trying to convince other people that it's true and rational and reasonable, as if any of that matters in the formation of beliefs? I mean, the only reason that Crick himself believes in the astonishing hypothesis is because the swarms of particles in his brain are causing him to. But then why does he even believe it? If you are aware that your thoughts are being caused by the mindless matter of your brain, why would you take any of your thoughts seriously? The astonishing hypothesis thus appears to be self-defeating. 
Physical reductionism is supposed to be a rational account of the human mind that appeals to our best philosophical and scientific reasoning. Proponents of this position think that we should accept this view because it's the rational, the reasonable thing to do. But appealing to sound reasoning and rationality is strictly ruled out by physical reductionism. Only an appeal to physical entities and causes is allowed. Remember, on this view, mental reasons are entirely reducible to physical causes. Let's make this point somewhat more formally. According to physical reductionism, all beliefs are the result of physical causes. But if all beliefs are the result of physical causes, then belief in physical reductionism itself is also the result of physical causes. But physical causes are not reasons. Therefore, belief in physical reductionism cannot be based on reasons. But we shouldn't believe anything that is not based on reasons. Therefore, we shouldn't believe in physical reductionism. And it's not just the belief in physical reductionism that becomes unreasonable if it's true. No belief of any kind whatsoever can be reasonable in the sense of being based on reasons if it's true. This, of course, includes any beliefs that are supposedly based on science. So if physical reductionism is true, then science itself is in deep trouble. And this is a real pickle because physical reductionists claim that their view of the mind is the one that's supported by science. Physical reductionism is thus like a universal acid that eats away every rational pursuit. Rather than explaining rationality, physical reductionism destroys rationality. What I've been describing here is a version of an argument known in the literature as the argument from reason. The argument from reason is a powerful argument that's been developed by many thinkers, including the late C.S. Lewis, and more recently by philosophers William Hasker and Alvin Plantinga. This argument is deployable against any attempt to reduce the mental entirely to the material. Now, to escape the threat of self-defeat that is seemingly entailed by their view, physical reductionists typically turn to really the only resource available to them, unguided biological evolution. Many assume that we can trust that our beliefs are mostly true, even if they are caused by physical activity in our brains, because our brains themselves have evolved in such a way as to furnish us with mostly true beliefs about the world. We're told that the having of true beliefs about the world conferred a survival advantage to our biological ancestors. These mostly true belief furnishing characteristics of the brain and the underlying genes responsible for them were thus favored and honed by natural selection as they were passed on to future generations. Thus, we have an evolutionary story about the emergence of human beliefs that also gives us a reason to trust them as being mostly true. And best of all, it's a materialist story that appeals only to physical causes and not to mental reasons. So, according to many physical reductionists, we can trust the deliverances of our cognitive faculties because they have evolved to give us mostly true knowledge of reality. However, one very serious problem with this explanation, this evolutionary explanation, is that the probability of our cognitive faculties being reliable 
on the theory of unguided evolution is very low. Now, to see why, consider that according to the theory of unguided evolution, natural selection selects for behaviors that are conducive to survival. It does not select for beliefs that are true. Our cognitive faculties have been shaped by the evolutionary process to promote our survival or our reproductive success and not for the production of mostly true beliefs. As philosopher Patricia Churchland, who is herself a materialist, explains in a now famous passage, quote, boiled down to essentials, a nervous system enables the organism to succeed in the four F's, feeding, fleeing, fighting, and reproducing. The principal chore of nervous systems is to get the body parts where they should be in order that the organism may survive. Truth, whatever that is, definitely takes the hindmost, end quote. Evolution underwrites only the survival of creatures whose behavior makes them good at the four Fs. It doesn't guarantee that the creatures who are good at the four Fs will also have mostly true beliefs. Again, this is because natural selection promotes traits that are conducive to survival or neurological traits that cause adaptive behavior. There is therefore no reason at all to think that the beliefs that have arisen as the byproducts of an unguided evolutionary process are mostly true. As Elvin Plantica points out, quote, the conjunction of metaphysical naturalism with the view that we and our cognitive faculties have arisen by way of the mechanisms and processes proposed by contemporary evolutionary theory gives us reason to doubt two things. The first is that a purpose of our cognitive systems is that of serving us with true beliefs. And the second is that they do, in fact, furnish us with mostly true beliefs. End quote. Plantica calls this idea, the idea that unguided evolution gives us a powerful reason to doubt that the human cognitive faculties produce mostly true beliefs. He calls it Darwin's doubt because it was Charles Darwin himself who raised this concern. In a letter to William Graham, Darwin writes, quote, With me the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are convictions in such a mind? End quote. So appealing to unguided evolution does not seem to be a promising way to escape the argument from reason. Because the, the process of unguided evolution is not aimed at truth, but survival, the fact that our brains have evolved to produce the very beliefs that we have furnishes us with a very good reason to doubt the truth of the beliefs that we have. The person who believes that his cognitive faculties have been cobbled together by an unguided process of evolution has a very good reason to doubt the reliability of those very cognitive faculties. But now we seem to be back where we started, since this position, too, seems to be self-refuting. If belief in unguided evolution gives us good reason to doubt the deliverances of our cognitive faculties, then we will also have good reasons to doubt that belief, the belief in unguided evolution, 
since it too would be one of the deliverances of our cognitive faculties. It seems that by appealing to evolution, the physical reductionist has escaped the frying pan only to land in the fire. As Elvin Plantica has aptly remarked, anyone who looks to unguided biological evolution to account for human rationality in strictly materialist terms is epistemologically screwed. Of course, we all know that we can, and we all actually do trust the deliverances of our reason. None of us actually believes that our beliefs about the everyday world are mostly false. That is, until some clever philosopher or neuroscientist comes along and convinces us otherwise. In fact, I think that we can turn the tables on the physical reductionist who relies on a theory of unguided evolution to avoid the argument from reason with the following syllogism. One, if our cognitive faculties are generally reliable, then unguided evolution is probably false. Two, our cognitive faculties are generally reliable. Therefore, three, unguided evolution is probably false. The argument from reason powerfully illustrates one critical aspect of the problem of rationality. Rationality requires that we have mental reasons for our beliefs. But since physical reductionism can only appeal to physical causes, it just seems wholly inadequate to account for human rationality. Moreover, as we've seen, physical reductionism is also self-refuting, since it claims to be a rational account of human cognition. And rational accounts are ruled out by physical reductionism. And as we've seen, the attempt to escape the self-refuting nature of the physical reductionist view of the mind by appealing to unguided evolution also fails, since it too ends up being self-refuting. Now, the argument from reason is a general philosophical argument that applies to any project that seeks to completely reduce the rational to the physical, or the mental to the material, or the mind to the brain. And as we'll see next time, human rationality presents further difficulties for those who endeavor to reproduce human intelligence in a machine.